want to greet each one in Jesus' name this morning. A blessing that we have to come together around God's Word, to discuss it freely as a brotherhood, and uh, hopefully to weed out the diatrophies amongst us that don't accept things that are godly. And so I appreciate it, and I've enjoyed the studies through John and his writings. And... uh, Appreciate what we can learn from them. <clears throat> I would like to take a moment this morning to uh, for a word of prayer for uh, Freeman Yoder, Lydian's brother, and uh, Susan Pletcher's father. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we thank You that You are the author of life, that You are the author of the schedule of life, and that You plan according to Your perfect will. We pray this morning for Freeman. We ask that You would be with him. But Lord, for his wife, and for the family, for Lydia Ann, we pray that You would bless them. Give them strength and courage to see that You have called them uh, for such a time as this. And uh, we pray that the experience of Freeman's life would be such that he would have long ago prepared himself to go to be with you. Might his life actually speak to those close to him as a testimony of faithfulness and wanting to serve you and do what is right. Lord, we pray also for Edith. We ask that you would bless her. We ask, and our request would be that you would heal her. And uh, we ask that you would help to recover from her surgery and medications and all that goes with it, that she could again live a normal, healthy life. But more than that, Lord, that this whole experience would draw us all closer to you, give us strength and courage to stand true and faithful, where you have called us in the instances of life that you have placed with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning for a message, you want to look to God, what he has for us. <clears throat> and uh been something that God has had in my mind in the making for some time already. And uh, hopefully can be something that we can learn and grow together in. Something that I see a need in my life uh, more than anyone else. Something that, in a sense, we've been working in our family on, and uh, uh, is a working a work in progress. Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter six, and I haven't told you what it is yet. That's right, but in Second Corinthians chapter six, there are a few verses that I often pick out in the Bible, and uh, you've heard me say it, and you've heard me. Uh, <clears throat> tell you to do it as well, but promises in the Bible, I underline them in yellow or in gold as something that that I can page through my Bible. There's certain tabs that I have that take me to certain promises to take me through certain things in, in life that I can readily look to and look for. And uh, in verse 17 of, of uh, 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 6, it says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now there we have a tremendous promise of acceptance from our Lord. And uh, if we are willing to come out, <clears throat> if we're willing to come out from the world, that he says, I will receive you. So if we make the steps to come out from, from the world, he says, I will receive you. And he says, I'll be a father. And he says, you'll be my children. And uh, uh, need that occasionally to be remembered that God accepts us if we're willing to come out. Now more of that is in verse 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Verse 15, what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So there he says that even before the verses that we read. 
So we look for verses within the Bible that uh, <clears throat> give us confirmation that the Lord loves us and that He accepts us as His children. Uh, another verse is is in Romans eight sixteen. His spirit beareth witness. His spirit, his spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children. Uh, we are the sons of God. And so, when we feel within our hearts that confirmation that we are the sons of God, that we are His children, and then we come back to that verse and know that we can know that we are His children. And there's days that we need that. There's days when we become discouraged. And we understand that His Spirit can tell us that we are His children. And there's more and many, many more verses and promises in the Bible that uh, we can look at or could look at. But these are principles that we enjoy. We want God's approval. There's a sense where we want to be accepted of God. And uh, when, when times are rough and tough... You know, um, we come to the point where we say that there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men, that he will with the temptation also give a way to escape. And there's comfort in knowing that when we're tempted, that that means that that we still are gods, that the devil is still trying to get us, that he doesn't tempt his own, but that he leads them deeper into sin, yes, but... Um, if we are tempted, we can, in a sense, have the confirmation that I still have God and uh, that I belong to Him. And uh, we came through the Sunday school lesson of the uh, of the sin against the Holy Spirit, and we have questions about that. So there are times that we seek for God's approval within Scripture. And I encourage you, even as I have done, to underline those verses and where we have God's approval, that we, that we can readily find them. And that principle is something, as I mentioned, we enjoy to take us through uh, hard times, temptations, whatever it may be. Now, when we studied in Mark chapter 12... The two greatest commandments, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it was the second one, love thy neighbor as thyself. The second one next to loving God is that we should love each other. And we've heard about that as we come through 1 John, 2 John, and, and uh, not as much here in, in today's lesson. But we've heard about that, that he that loveth God love his brother also, because how can he love his brother whom he hath seen if he love not God whom he hath not seen? And so that puts the test to us. That puts the test to us. And uh, I've entitled the message this morning, Confirm Your Brother. Confirm Your Brother. And that's maybe the aspect that we want to look at in a little bit is the way that we look to God for confirmation in our life is that I have come to believe and see that we have a responsibility amongst us as a brotherhood to confirm each other. To confirm each other. And this might be the positive side of a negative message of not, not picking on each other, but I like to look at it on the sense of confirming your brother. The Lord has been working in our life, my life personally, and uh, something that we want to work together on, I believe, is confirming each other. Say, so how do we do that? Well, let's look. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> There's a lot of different principles that we could look at, a lot of different things we could talk about. But uh, I've decided to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've been challenged with the thought that, with the thing, not the thought, but the thing that Brother Steve has these verses memorized. And, uh, in his communion, he would recite these as he passed out the bread and the wine and has left them as a challenge for us. First Corinthians chapter 12 talks about us as a body, talks about a comparison of us as a body working together. And we want to look at that and use that as a basis as we go on from here. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one, I didn't get here in two bodies, did I? I wasn't born Siamese. We were all come here as one body. It says, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. There's a lot of different parts of our body. 
There's just a whole lot of different parts of our body. Let's see what he says about it. Verse 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. He's talking about the church there in verse 13. But in verse 14, he goes back to talking about the body. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body... We don't call our hands on our shoe, inside our shoes. Those are our feet. I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if it were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, but yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more these members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness." For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So we have here the example of the human body, and as it works together... And how it can't say to each other, I don't need you. I wrote down here that we're all made to work together. Our body works together. Part of the problems and the symptoms that we reason we go to the doctor if some of the things don't work. Part of the reason that we become concerned about our body is if that certain things aren't doing what they're supposed to. You know, I'd probably get concerned if I'd start smelling with my finger, right? I could smell all sorts of things out over here instead of with my nose. You know, my nose is made to do that. And really, it sometimes doesn't do a very good job. But it still smells most of the part, most of the time. And so we are all contribute different ingredients. You know, if I go to pick something up, I need these two fingers. But I can't smell with these two fingers. And, and it goes on and on and on. And we can't say that necessarily my nose is more important than our fingers. But we come to say, well, our heart is the most important thing. Because, because I'm talking physically, because if it weren't beating, then we weren't here. If I were up here and I'd have a beating heart in my hand, would it be worth much? Not by itself. It needs fingers, it needs hands, it needs arms, it needs feet, it needs everything else. And so we think about it and we say, well, okay, then we need everything we've got. We just bring everybody into the church that we can and we just, you know, love everybody. Even if he's named Diotrephes. I know of quite a few of us here that are missing some parts. Because they became infected and they didn't want to play with all the rest or work with all the rest. And so the Lord does have things. We have good friends that can work without their left arm or without their right arm, and they learn how to adjust and how to do things. It's difficult. You're missing something, yes. But there are times that when they cause an infection, there are things that need to be done. And as we look at this, as we look at this example that he's given us of each, of working together, you know, what if what if my hand would just wouldn't get along with my feet, and so you know they just wouldn't clean my my hands just wouldn't clean my feet? He says you just go clean yourself. Wouldn't work very good, would it? 
probably get started to get kind of smelly if my hands wouldn't help my feet get clean. And so there are things that we need to confirm each other. We need to work together. Our body works together. And you understand that in more ways than I can explain it. I'm sure you can. But he tells us in verse 31, he says, But I show unto you a more excellent way. And then they decided that needs to be a new chapter. And he talks about love. Talks about appreciation. And that's where it comes in that today a lot of things, a lot of people say that, well, you just need to love everybody. Let me ask you a question. Is true love really just accept you everything the way you are? Or does true love tell you, you know, really, your feet are smelling because your hands don't wash them? True love does point out certain things in your life. A false love says just, oh, let's just love each other and go on. Sometimes there's other people can say things better than I can. And I know we have gone through this book, Relationships That Bless, but I often refer back to it, as, as you see. Um, I am going to um, use part of this um, to hopefully explain a little bit what I think about as confirming our brother. And uh, under relationships within the church, there was a chapter called Proper Esteem for Others. And uh, I'm going to refer to this. It says, Esteeming others better than ourselves requires divine grace. So it must not be something that comes just really easily. It says, the more we practice this esteem, the more valuable it becomes to us. We cannot begin to do this until we have discovered the wickedness of our own hearts. What does he mean? It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I'm going to read that again. We cannot begin to do this until we have discovered the wickedness of our own hearts. You mean we can't esteem our brother right if we don't know how bad we are ourselves? True self-discovery humbles us. Since we can know more about our own badness than we can about anyone else's, we can esteem other people better than ourselves. Whose badness do you know the most about? My own. The devil wants us to think that we can understand the badness of other people better than we can our own. That's not true. We can know more about our, ba- our own badness than we can about anyone else's, so we can esteem other people better than ourselves. This is a far better reaction to our own weakness than exposing the weakness of others to boost our own pride. Let me read that again. This is a far better reaction to our own weaknesses than exposing the weaknesses of others to boost our own pride. To esteem others better than ourselves, we must consider their value to us. Friendships are valuable. The more diverse our circle of friends, the greater will be their value to us. I found that interesting. The more diverse our circle of friends, the greater will be their value to us. Even if you go to deliver steel to them. Gary, how's your friend doing that has cancer? Okay. But his friendship did give you an aspect in your life that was different than I can give my friendship, Gary. So, the more diverse our circle of friends, the greater will be their value to us. I underline this. With God's help, we can even learn to appreciate those little quirks that make some people seem a bit odd. And I'll tell you, I've got some quirks. I'll read that again. With God's help, we can even learn to appreciate those little quirks that make some people seem a bit odd. God made us all different. Thanks the Lord for that. He made us all different and appreciate those little things that make us different from each other. Learn to appreciate them. How could we develop patience if others responded to us just in the way we want them to? How could we learn forgiveness if no one disappointed us? How could we ever learn compassion if there were no needy families? Listen, we can learn to see valuable characteristics in every brother. Instead of gossiping about the failures of others, we talk about the good contribution others make to us. Where brethren esteem others better than themselves, true brotherhood will thrive. 
Without it, the brotherhood will be no more than a religious fraternity. The Apostle Paul's prayer for the Philippians gave us the elements of the esteem of others. And this is in Philippians 1, verse 9 to 11. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. That kind of rings a bell. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Charity in chapter 13. And in Philippians, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge, what we know, in all judgment, what we think and how we judge others, and that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Note the elements in this prayer. Number one, first, love abounds in knowledge. Really? The better you know a person, the better you like him? The better you know your wife, the better you love her? The better you know your brother, the more you love him? That's what it's saying. And listen, it says, often the more we know about another person, the less we love him. It should not be this way. A marriage is successful when a couple's love grows as their knowledge of each other increases. This knowledge includes all the weaknesses and failures of each other. The discovery that our mates are very human makes us feel free to be human and completely open. The discovery that our mates are very human makes us feel free to be human and completely open. I don't have to be perfect because I know my wife isn't perfect. You don't have to be perfect as a brother in the church because I am not perfect here in the church. We can be ourselves. We'll talk some more about that. On the other hand, couples who expect perfection in their mates are soon disappointed and began to stack up memories of failure upon failure upon failure until there is an explosion. If you expect your mate to be perfect, they are soon disappointed and began to speck up memories of failure upon failure until there's an explosion. Unless someone reverses the process, it's only a matter of time until a divorce takes place. When we expect our other, when we expect other people to be perfect, then we start stacking up things against them. And then finally there becomes there comes an explosion. The same principle applies to the brotherhood. We're all human and we all make mistakes. This knowledge should make us free to be ourselves, to be free within the standards of righteousness, likewise where love abounds in the spirit, or because of what we know, it will temper how we judge each other. We can be ourselves. In fact, I would like to cultivate that we be ourselves, that we can talk about who we are, what we believe, and why we do what we do. Number two, next, love abounds in judgment. The husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church will always judge his wife in the most favorable light. As a result, his love for her will continue to grow. The same thing happens in the church. We see people's qualities in a favorable light. In other words, we approve things that are excellent. So as we see the brother in the church, we think that, oh, he did that because he's jealous. Or we could say, no, he did that because he just didn't realize what all the facts were. So we can, on our judgment, we can put it through a lot of different things. Most people, if not all, have an excelling virtue. For some, we may need to watch closely to find it. Having found it, we should approve it and tell others about it. That's what we're talking about this morning. Confirm your brother. I'm going to read that again. Most people... If not all, and I think all people, I don't think he would have had to write it like that. I'm going to say, all people have an excelling virtue. For some, we may need to watch closely to find it. Having found it, we should approve it and tell others about it. That's confirming our brother. This promotes good relationships. Too naturally, we see the things that are not excellent, and we often get quite vocal about the failure of others, especially if there are leaders. Now listen to this next statement. Who has ever improved brotherhood relationships by magnifying the faults of others? Who has ever improved brotherhood relationships by magnifying the faults of others? None. 
You cannot improve relationships by magnifying the world. Why not do we, as Paul directs, focus on the things that are excellent and help to build good relationships? Remember, in order to enjoy good relationships, be sincere. By nature, we pretend. We know what other people like. We pretend. Um, We have lost our childhood candor. In other words, one thing we appreciate about children is that they're just honest. They're just themselves. We have learned what is expected of us, and we feign obedience whether we believe in our heart or not. This insincerity is sin. And I refer that to the devotionals that Leon has been leading us through, is that we feign obedience whether we believe it in our heart or not. This insincerity is sin. Unless we repent of it, we will lose our relationship with God and our brother. We need to be sincere in what we believe. We need to be sincere in what we believe. That's a trail that goes very closely with what we call confirming our brother. That starts on page 79 if you want to go home and look at it in your own book. But uh, there are definitely some points in there that for me are underlined and worth remembering. Relationships that bless the proper esteem of others. And just repeating what he said there, who has ever improved brotherhood relationships by magnifying the faults? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. As I... uh, um, thought about this message over time and, and uh, the, the uh, parts of it came to me and I would jot things down. I uh, thought about it, well, what is that or where is it in Scripture? Am I sure that, that I can find Scripture to support these things? Or, or is this all something that I'm going to have to um, to just uh, do what they say we shouldn't do, make a message and then fit it into Scripture. And then the Lord, some time ago, gave me the Scripture that Brother Steve read about the body. And then as I looked and, 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 and looked at the different Scriptures that refer to this same thing of confirming our brother, there's more than what I could mention here this morning. And we see here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, it says, "...but to do good and to communicate, forget not." But with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And uh, it, before the verses before that, verse 15, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Could have been for our last week of Thanksgiving. Verse 15, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. And I would like to add especially to uh, those of the household of faith. Another book that I just finished reading, Shaking Hands with Mr. Parkinson. How many of you have read this book? Okay. Um, it's written by Gary Miller. Gary Miller, it's the Gary, not of the two Gary Millers that you know. Not the one in Kansas and not the one in Oregon that wrote the financial book. This Gary Miller is the one that married Marie Troyer, that, uh, that, that her husband John was martyred in Guatemala. Alvin Troyer, Gary's relationship, mom's relation, uh, relation. Alvin Troyer lived in Travis City years ago and over the years has been here. Would be Alvin's daughter-in-law, Marie, married Gary Miller. Now Gary Miller was with John, was a single worker with John and Marie Troyer in Palama, Guatemala when, uh, when, uh, John was shot. In fact, Gary was, was injured as well. And uh, so Gary ended up, after some time, marrying Marie Troyer. And uh, I think that's uh, in a book called Awaiting the Dawn. Is that right? So this is actually after that. Gary Miller here, at 48 or 9 years of age, discovered that he has Parkinson's. Parts of his body just didn't work together. Just didn't work. And uh, just, a, just a very good, frank, very easy to read uh, book about his experience 
but then also how he relates to others that also have Parkinson's, people that you know. Um, Schrock from Virginia. What's his first name? Pardon? Simon? Uh, that's not the one I was thinking of. Um, um, hang on, I'll see his picture here in a little bit. Yeah, they've been in Belize. They've been in... in uh, Stephen Schrock's father. What's his name? Enos Schrock. Enos Schrock has as Parkinson's, and uh, there's others mentioned in here. Then um, it, it, it often it has their their little story and their picture. And uh, I'm trying to think who else. There was a few others that have it, but uh, they were getting they were planning to come together for a uh, support group. And uh, it's always, he calls it the ice cream social, a chapter um, in the book. And uh, they think, well, you know, here he is beginning with Parkinson's. He can still, he can still uh, walk. Um, some of the first things that he, that he noticed was his left arm just didn't want to cooperate. Uh, he didn't notice it, but it would, would often hang kind of unused. Uh, the things that he didn't notice probably in the very beginning was he, he was a school teacher. He loved to play ball. And uh, um, way back in 2006, he, he tried to pitch and the ball just wouldn't go where he wanted it to go. And uh, this is what I'm talking about. I, I wasn't gonna, going to uh, share this, but I will anyway. Um, an all-time low spot in my softball experience happened when I substituted for one of my school teachers for a day in 2006. The students wanted me to pitch, and I reluctantly agreed. It was a disaster. My pitches went everywhere but over the plate. I gave up in disgrace when one of my wobbly pitches struck a student. I can't do this, I lamented, embarrassed. Don't feel bad, comforted fourth grade Anna. I'm an even worse pitcher than you are. There's a picture of Anna. He didn't know he had Parkinson's at that time, but uh, um, that was that he looked back and seen that it was part of the beginning stages. So uh, now the reason that I, I'm saying all of this is that they were going to this support group, and it's always the question, you know, here he can walk, he can, he, he's, you know, he's fairly well, and Parkinson's takes its toll about ten to fifteen years, and it takes you to a wheelchair where you just can't control yourself. And uh, eventually you probably die of not being able to swallow or of pneumonia or some other things. And so they were facing the question, you know, should we go, shouldn't we? I mean, all we're doing is going to see how people worse than I, how I'm going to be in a few years. And uh, he uh, mentions a few details about that. He mentions uh, the other people that are there. Um, but he says... I thought of the young man I had seen there, probably not out of his 30s, pleasantly conversing with his friends, even as his hands writhed in, in dyskinesia. Dyskinesia. I thought of another older gentleman who wore a protective helmet to shield his head from frequent falls. His wife commented, he never complains. Then Gary writes this observation. If we withdraw from one another, we are merely ducking reality. Why not rather draw strength from each other? And so um, that is why he would attend the support group, is to draw strength from each other and to help each other. If you were closer, you could say there's Enos Schrock. Enos was there. His prayer for his Parkinson's was, pray that I won't lose my smile. He was suspicious. He told his, his uh, congregation, he actually um, had the message, he told his congregation, I'm going to the doctor next week to see what's happening. And he said the next week he stood up and told them the prognosis, and he said, pray that I won't lose my smile. Those of you know that know Enos know that he smiles. So uh, that is what we're talking about when we talk about confirm your brother. If we withdraw from one another, we are merely ducking reality. Why not rather draw strength from each other? How 
I put two points down here that just in my summary of what I was learning. Number one, the first ingredient needed is to participate. First ingredient needed is to participate. In a sense, all our body, do something. Our fingers do something. Our arms do something. And uh, when I lay in bed with a broken leg, the doctor told me for every day you lie there, it takes two days to get back into back into shape. And still today, six almost six years later, seven years later, um, there's still times that all of a sudden I move my leg in a way that it's not used to, and it and it uh, and it brings forth a feeling that it's not used to being like that, which is in a sense a good thing because that means that we're stretching and we're going places where we haven't gone before. First ingredient is to participate. And we'll, maybe you'll understand that one better just a little bit later. Number two, encourage others in their participation. Not flattery, uh, just an honest acknowledgement. Um, just, a, just a thanks. Thanks for doing this. Something you've noticed. Thanks that uh, the lawn looks nice. Thanks for your effort with all sorts of things that you've noticed to your brother. And I know Satan comes to us and says, Ah, it's nothing, just don't mention it to him. You know, the devil doesn't want us to confirm our brother. The devil doesn't want us to. He'd rather we talk negative about him. Today I believe that many of us are caught up in the individualism. I believe what I want to believe. And so we have young people coming to the church, of which I just recently heard someone say, well, I don't really feel a part of the church. Why should I want to join? My first question would be, what did you contribute? What did you give? And I know it's one of the presidents that said it about our country, but I'm going to say it about our church. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. We too often go with our hand outstretched, give me, give me, give me attitude, instead of what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So I think he's telling us very pointedly there how that we should help those that are within our household of faith. Help them. Do what we can. If you see a brother have need, help him. If not, how dwelleth the love of God in us? Second Thessalonians 3.13, Be not weary in well-doing. If we um, become weary in that. Now, just on a practical side of it, how do we do this? We've been in the theoretical, we've been in the hypothesis side, we've been saying, well, this is what we should do, and you do that. I, I appreciate the notes that we find in our mailbox of encouragement, the uh, offering that we find as a ministry. Um, I believe that we have enough poems. I didn't bring one, bring, give them the roses while they live. Um, other sayings that we have to show appreciation to people while they're living instead of after they die. Turn with me yet once more to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There is a practical side of what we, what I'm talking about that sometimes can help us and can, uh, I think, involve, include our participation. Now, some years ago, and I'd be curious at knowing how long ago it was, and I discovered uh, when I mentioned Annie Johnson Flint that not everybody here knows about this. So time goes on and we don't know about it. But I did, several years ago, mention and have a devotional that it shows that you're here, that you listened, and that you approve of the service is when at the end, at the benediction, when the benediction is said, Amen here, that you verbally say, Amen. And uh, you might think that was just maybe happenstance, but it was by encouragement here. And I think I'd like to renew that in a sense. You know, it shows that you're actually awake. And that you, that you appreciated and approved of the service. And so, um, especially I think on this side, the men especially I think, 
we could, we could get quite vocal about that. I think the women can follow, but we should be the ones that, as the benediction says, Amen, and then you say, Amen. And I personally believe that we could do that in all of our prayers. Shows that you're listening, shows that you agree with the prayer, shows that you would um, like to add your emphasis to God. Amen. I, I agree with what was said. I didn't look up the definition of amen in the, in, in the, uh, in the uh, dictionary, but I believe in my meaning that it means so be it. Lord, I'm here with the one that prayed. Let it be so. And I think we could practice, we could practice that. I, I just get a feel of, uh, of, uh, approval in a sense or acknowledgement that that's my heartfelt desire too. If I'm praying, say amen and others say amen. So I think we would do good to, to practice that. I, uh, I just think that would be music to God's ears is when we have a prayer here or where it ever may be that we also say amen after the prayer. And uh, most of all, after the benediction here. And uh, the, the proper, proper way is not to say amen with the speaker, but after the speaker says amen, and then in agreement and approval say amen. Let's practice that. Let's, let's say amen all together, okay? Are you ready? Amen. Let's do it again. Amen. One more time. Amen. Hey, that sounded good. doesn't have to be that, Amen! But it can be that solemn, Amen. I'm right there with you. I'm praying right there with you. Amen. Thank you, Steve. That's the way it should be. And, and I want to encourage you, you brethren, as we preach, or as the Gospels preach, you agree, just say, Amen. It just, uh, in a way, is confirming your brother what's said. And uh, the rest of us can say, oh, Steve agreed with that. Maybe I should too. Instead of the attitude, I wonder what he's saying. Are we really? You know, and if I hear Paul saying amen to a certain devotions or certain message, and then I know, you know what, he believes it. I think I should be listening a little bit more too. Okay? Now, some time ago, actually it's longer than I like to acknowledge, I mentioned that I think there's another time that we should say amen. Does anybody remember that, that I said that? Okay, well then I'll renew it. There is something that we do by practice that I appreciate, and I don't think any of you realize it, you brethren, I'm talking to you brethren, I don't think you realize it. Maybe you do. But since I've started thinking about it, I realize it. That's normal, isn't it? should be. If I think about it, I realize it. Okay. When you come up here, when you come up here, you say, I greet you in Jesus' name. What are you really saying? What are you really saying? Have you thought about that? I mean, I, I know most of you, I've watched and I've observed over the last year, I would say, or more, and, and high 90%, if not every one of us do that. And it's right and proper. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting it down. What I have been able to find and what I have been taught by our Spanish brethren is that when we come up here and we say, I greet you in Jesus' name, we're saying, I am here as a humble representative of my Lord Jesus. Would you accept that? And I honestly believe that we should get used to the fact that when we come up here and we say, I greet you in Jesus' name, that you say, Amen. Did you do that in Belize, Josh? Didn't. In El Salvador, you'd hear it trickle through the cloud, crowd. Uh, I think Haiti, Sherry's not here, is she? I think in Haiti that was a normal practice. I say that in two ways, because you as a, as a speaker, as you come up here and you say, I greet you in Jesus' name, I want to take... No, you're going to pause. I greet you in Jesus' name, and then you're going to say what? Amen. Come on. Let's try it again. I greet you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, the men are going to say it, but you're going to help them, okay? I greet you in Jesus' name. Amen. I accept that you are willing this morning to stand here and give us God's word. I don't want to surprise our visitors with that. I think we could do it in a moderate way. But I think for us men here, as we come up here, and as I've tried to explain to you, sometimes it's with humility that we come here, how am I honored that I am allowed to speak about God's word to you today? And I believe it would just be proper that when I say, I greet you in Jesus' name, you say, I accept that. And I'm actually looking to God. I'm not looking to you. I'm looking to God for what he says this morning. So as we come together in time, I want us to begin the practice to say that as we come, whoever it may be, and, and I think you've been doing it, unless you consciously have not. But I, I haven't heard anyone that I remember. No, he didn't say that. But you all say that. And it's right and true and proper that you should do that. Including the song leader. And so from now on, when you come up here and you say, Good morning, I greet you in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to begin with turning to... Song number, 1 Corinthians 14, a message, whatever God has for us. And it shows us, it shows the speaker that I'm here, I support you standing in God's stead this morning, telling us what you want, or what God has laid upon your heart. And so um, I want that to begin and be something that we practice here. Something else that is, in a practical sense, um, what we can do to confirm our brother. And uh, the older I get, the more forgetful I get. I think it's something that happens to all of us. Um, I came across this booklet. It's called Annual Sunday School Record. And I'm suspicious it was made for a Sunday school superintendent. Because inside the book, you have a a two-page spread. And it has here Sunday school record, it has superintendent, song leader, hymn, 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 devotional leader, devotional reading, Sunday school lesson title, the classes, how many were in attendance, the teacher, and then the songs, the offering, how much the offering was for. And uh, over here it has a preaching service record, the opening, the song leader, the devotional reading, the speaker, sermon title, sermon text, outline or main thought. And you have place to write those things down, closing hymn and benediction. And... Uh, um, to me, if I write something down, I remember it better than if I just copy it on my computer, copy and paste, or something like that. And uh, that's why my notes still are handwritten, because it just kind of puts it in a little bit more permanent. If you find it otherwise, that's fine. Help yourself. You may do that. But for me, that works. If you would like to, and especially you school children, if you would like and we're getting at the beginning of the year. That doesn't mean you have to, to do that at the beginning of the year. But in an organized way, if you would like to remember what we've, we've we talked about. And I, I, I have, when, I, when I present this, I think about Edwin Yoder. Somebody remember what Edwin Yoder used to do? Yes, Paul. I think he wrote every song and every thought down. He did. He had a notebook, and that was his mission, was to write down the song number, write down the, the, what was sung, who the song leader was. I think Lester does quite a bit of that. Um, maybe there's somebody here that does that, and I don't realize it. You know, to me, I endorse this type of writing in, 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 uh, in church. Drawing pictures, uh, no. Um, if you want a book like this, I'm going to lay it back there. You can look at it. I'm going to have a yellow piece of paper on the back. And if you want a book like this, they cost $3. If you don't have $3, write your name on it anyway. You don't have to pay for it. I'll get it for you. But it will just be free will. You put, when they come, you'll put $3 in the box, and you can have the book. And uh, whether you use it here at church or you use it at home, um, I would just want to make it available. 
in a sense, it'll to me it would be a blessing to see some of you have these books, and and when when uh, I know it doesn't it doesn't um, um, sometimes it looks awkward to be taking notes, but when I know it's about the message, it clicks up here and says he wants to remember that, and it's like confirming. I want to remember what was said, and then sometime later you also can go back there. Now, what did we? You know, on October the the whatever the Sunday was, you know, who preached? Well, what was his message about? Um, and so, if you can use one of these, uh, write your name on the paper, and I will try and get them within the next. Uh, let's give it two weeks. Let's give it two weeks, and then I'll I'll order it. And uh, um, if you would like to be part of of uh, of that. If you use it here at church, fine. If you want to buy one and use it for clear something else, that's fine as well. But I uh, want to present it as a practical side of confirming our brother. Now, what I didn't um, expound more about is is the words that you say. And we could go into Scripture, uh, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. The words that you say... Um, can be meaningful, very, very meaningful to people around you. Um, just remembering, you know, what you did the past week. When you ask me how did this go the past week, remember, makes me know that you knew what was happening in my life last week. And uh, I know we can't remember everything to anybody, but it does show confirmation to our brethren. And uh, um, I think out of this, confirming our brother should become a relationship where we can relate to each other and encourage each other the faith and strengthen each other through difficult times. Lest we give the, def- the devil an edge of discouragement amongst us. Shall we kneel for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your blessings of life to us that you've shared amongst us. Lord, thank you for making us all different. Thank you for giving us the scriptures to look into. Thank you for the book of John that encourage us to love each other, to love you first of all, and to love our brethren. We pray that you would help us to become involved in each other's lives of encouragement and strengthening, helping each other, and to be what we can be to, uh, to uh, each other that the devil would not gain an edge of discouragement amongst us. We pray, Father, that you would bless those that are not here with us this morning, that normally worship here. We ask that you would bless them, give them courage, give them strength to stand true and faithful in the coming week. Help us, Father, all to be ready to, to go with you when you come back to take us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.